on the block on demand. Without Jerry McNamara, we wouldn't have won 10 f- games this year. Okay? Not 10. Two seconds and one. It's 10 wins in a row for the Crunch. It's the biggest upset in the Carrier Dome in more than 30 years as the Orange hold off the defending national champions. They beat Clemson. The Bills make me want to shout. McCoy in the backfield takes the handoff, runs up the middle, breaks a tackle. He's inside the 10, cuts to the left, into the end zone. Buffalo wins. Back to full. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Somebody in Vegas told them they were going to win by 20. They'll look at the positive side of things once in a while instead of the negative all the time. This is On the Block. Here's Axman. ESPN Radio, 97.7. 100.1 ESPN Radio, What's happening, Mohawk Valley? Great to have you along for the ride on this gorgeous Thursday afternoon. Or you can listen wherever you go, whatever you do. You're going to the great New York State Fair, Labor Day weekend coming up. But, hey, we don't have tomorrow off. We are going to be here, albeit in kind of a different way. We're doing our... Uh, Romano Subaru pregame show tomorrow. So you'll hear Seth with me, and it's going to be more of a pregame show than a normal on the block. It just happens to kind of fall in this time slot because it's a 6 o'clock kickoff. So if you're going away for Labor Day weekend, but you still want to keep in tap with Syracuse football talk and everything we're doing, the ESPN app is such a great way to do it. You download the app, you find the Listen tab, you find ESPN Syracuse or ESPN Utica Rome. And while you're up there soaking in the last days of summer, you can listen to our pregame coverage and everything happening here on ESPN Radio Syracuse. Here's how you get in touch with the program today. 437-7644 is the phone number. You can tweet me where the show never stops. Brent Axe Media, Brent Axe Media on Twitter. The On the Block text line. Another great way to fire off those hot takes to us. Because you got scorching sports takes, baby. That's hot. 288-0644 is the text line. We have three guests joining us today. we got a busy Thursday here. And we are looking forward to speaking with all three of these gentlemen right here in this hour. Not only our baseball insider and one of my favorite guests to bring on the program. Tomorrow night when Syracuse Western Michigan is over. As soon as it's over. You're going to want to be right here on ESPN Radio Syracuse. Seth Everett. Hosts our post-game coverage. Friday night's a great night for football, and it's a great night to listen to Seth break it all down as soon as it's over. He'll take your calls. We'll hear from players and coaches and the most comprehensive, intense, opinionated post-game coverage you can get. Looking forward to this. Seth Everett will be doing that tomorrow, but he will join me today. Kind of some last thoughts before the season begins. We'll also talk some baseball with Seth, as we always do. He's... he's one of the Swiss Army Knives that we bring on this radio program. Versatile guy, can talk about a lot of things, but we'll hone in on those two. Our weekly chat with the head coach starts today. Thanks, Brent. Thank you, Coach. Dino Babers will join this program every Thursday throughout the Syracuse football season. The first of those chats will be today. 
previewing not only the season, but, of course, tomorrow night's season opener against Western Michigan. It's tomorrow. Can you believe it? Like, we're here, man. It's always weird because, like, the fair is going on, and we haven't gone through Labor Day weekend. The kids aren't back in school yet. But it's it's tomorrow. Football! Football! Purdue-Northwestern tonight. UCF-UConn, the most fake rivalry in sports. I don't care. It's football. Last preseason games tonight, of course, too, which are always garbage because everybody sits and nothing significant happens. But, hey, man, it's football, real football. Let's get it. We are also going to talk today with our friend Liam McHugh. Liam, as you know, former intern on this program, now with NBC Sports, and Liam is moving up in the world, kids. He is now the on-site host for Sunday Night Football. He is now uh, the Notre Dame studio host on NBC. Huge opening weekend college football game between Notre Dame and Michigan. Also the lead anchor on the NHL and NBC. Probably won't talk hockey today. We'll focus in on football with Liam McHugh, our buddy. Always makes time for us from NBC Sports. So a lot of football today with our three guests. Would love to hear from you. Hot takes as usual. Of course, we'll preview more of Syracuse and Western Michigan in addition to our guests. But I start with, you know, what is old is new again. And that is the old debate about putting a baseball stadium in downtown Syracuse. Now, this is, quite frankly, an easy horse for me to beat. One of the topics that always gets the commenters going on Syracuse.com, that gets people riled up on Twitter and even on this program at times, is to bring up one of the great follies, one of the great mistakes, one of the great all-time blunders in the history of Central New York, and that was keeping that stadium where it is. Technically not where it is. They went across this, you know, the parking lot, right? But not building a baseball stadium downtown is such a categorical mistake. I, it just it, it angers me to talk about it to this day because of the way it went down, the ridiculous pettiness, pe- the people making decisions and why they made those decisions. It, it's just aggravating to think about, right? But it's almost not worth it, too, because there's nothing you can do about it. Short of somebody inventing a way to transport a stadium downtown and just plop it somewhere and, you know, you can just magically make it appear as if it's been there the whole time, we know that it, this is a fruitless debate. But it, it came up again a little bit in recent days. And Tim Knaus, my friend and colleague at Syracuse.com, has a very interesting article up about this today that you can read on Syracuse.com. I'm sure it will be in the good old-fashioned newspaper as well. And that is, well, should we revisit that here 25 years later? And the reason being the Syracuse Chiefs, which wrap up their 2018 season this weekend. The number one prospect in all of baseball, by the way, Vlad Guerrero Jr., is going to be in town. So if you're looking for something to do, not often the number one prospect in all of baseball comes through. He is tearing it up with Buffalo. Victor Robles is back with the Chiefs. That's you know two of the top five prospects in baseball. That is triple-A baseball at its best. And while the Chiefs do an amazing job promotionally and the salt potatoes and all the fun things. Sometimes you just want to see really good freaking baseball and really good baseball players and two of the best in AAA, two of the best prospects in the game are in town this weekend. So keep that in mind. But they should be playing where I am doing this broadcast from, downtown Syracuse. I should be able to throw a baseball at the stadium, not have to take an Uber 
to do such a thing. The reason this has come up again is, of course, the Mets are fully taking over. Now, the Mets technically own the team this year, but still an affiliate with the Washington Nationals. They kind of let that ride out, but they kind of fully make that transition once the season is over, and the season's over in a few days. As a part of that, as we have heard, and this is going to go to a vote in the legislature soon, they want to put about 25 to $30 million, that's the estimate, that's the price tag we're being given, into improvements at NBT Bank Stadium, which a lot of which makes sense. I think condensing the stadium down makes sense to 7,000 seats might be a little, now now you're basically in a double-A park, but the stadium was built too big for 80 games of baseball a year. There's just no question about that, especially in this town in April and May when you had to beg people to go watch baseball. It was too many seats. But remember, initially in the mid-90s, it was built as a multi-purpose facility, and it had turf. A soccer team played there. Football games were played there. In addition to the Chiefs, that was the premise of keeping it out there. That was the premise of using the taxpayer money that they used to build it, in addition to a new place for the Chiefs to maintain a AAA baseball status in this town, and most of you know that story. Well, over the years, multi-purpose facility became a laughable thing. They eventually put grass back in there, which made that whole multi-purpose facility thing a lot tougher. The standards for which baseball teams wanted their AAA teams to have became tighter and more regimented, and I don't blame them for that because they could say, well, if you're not going to do this, we can go elsewhere. And lo and behold, it became exclusively a baseball park. And the relationship between who ran what and how between the county and the Simone family, eventually the county, and Jason Smorrell, eventually the county and the ownership group that owned the Chiefs, sold the community involvement, and now it's the New York Mets who own the team. And the New York Mets are basically saying, well, what are you going to do for us? The contract, the lease, runs through 2025. That sounds like a long way away, but until you make the Mets happy and put some money into that stadium improve some things. And again, I'm, I'm in favor of a lot of the ideas that they have. And that money, of course, is taxpayer money. It's, you know, they say state money. It's taxpayer money. Sometimes using taxpayer money to improve something like that is worth it in the long term. I think we have to question this, given that we don't really know what the Mets' long-term commitment here is. I understand what some local officials are saying, Ryan McMahon and others are saying about we, uh, Bill Fisher who pushed hard for the improvements that we're now seeing at the War Memorial. And thank goodness for that, because the Syracuse Crunch entering their 25th season have more than proven, like, yeah, we're going to be around here. We've got an amazing affiliate in Tampa Bay. We've got a loyal fan base. Like, this this is this is a thing. We've been here 25 years. We're going to be here. The status of professional baseball in this town is still a little bit in question. The Mets seem to want to be here long-term, but the Mets are also saying, well, what are we going to do about this stadium? And there's a a question mark about how much they're going to invest in it. The Mets could go closer to home tomorrow if they wanted to. There's a a bunch of markets that I'm sure would give them more than what we're willing to give them as a community right now. So the 25 to $30 million improvement seems like, okay, that's the logical thing to do because the only thing that happens over there is AAA baseball. But the thought of building a stadium again was at least proposed in Tim's article and and some county officials and some others 
were quoted in the article and basically shot it down. As much as you'd like to have a makeup call for what was one of the great mistakes in the history of this town, to see the numbers involved, and these are estimates, these are you know, by no means in pen here. But what would it cost to build a stadium in 2018? Even if it was a multi-purpose facility, even if you go back in time, back to the future, if you will, and say, we want to build something downtown that we should have done in the mid-90s. That yes, the core of it, the most use of it, the primary tenant of it is a triple-A baseball team. But why not make it accessible for other things to happen there? There's been involvement in field turf. There's been involvement in stadium studies and technology and how, you know, even teams that primarily play 82 games of minor league baseball there can play in multi-purpose facilities, and we have technology in 2018 to do that. But we're talking about 70 to $100 million here, the estimates were, in this article. And I'm thinking to myself, look, as big of a sports fan as I am and as big of a proponent I am of keeping professional baseball here, it is patently absurd to spend $100 million or anywhere in that ballpark to build a ballpark. Think of everything we could use that kind of state money to do. It's the same debate that came up when there was talk of building a new stadium for Syracuse. Remember that? And Cuomo was just going to write a check, $500 million, here you go, bing, bang, boom, and they tried to shove that through. And meanwhile, the mayor at the time, Stephanie Miner, was over here like, uh, were you planning on telling me about that? And, uh, you know, the rest is history, right? I understand why you asked the question. I understand the point of the article. I get at least saying, well, before this transition happens and the Mets come in, yeah, are we sure this is what we want to do? Are we sure that all we want to do is put 25 to $30 million here when we could build a new stadium. Now, I work in downtown Syracuse every day, and I am thrilled to see the progress that downtown Syracuse has made, some of the new restaurants that have come in, some of the new businesses that have come in. Where I work at Syracuse.com, there are apartments above us that are not cheap, and they are full. There are moving trucks parked in front of our building almost every day particularly, you know, end and beginning of the month when people move in and out. There are apartment buildings, new furnished apartments popping up all over this place. There are more people with younger people, those darn millennials with their with their dogs and, you know, doing things millennials do. And I say that jokingly as a man who's turning 40 in a couple of weeks, but it's encouraging to see this. There are big time businesses that have moved back downtown, downtown has had a rebirth. Which makes me sad because had a baseball stadium been down here originally, it would have had its ups and downs. Because remember, Armory Square and a lot of the things that came about, you know, even 20 years ago, not even close to what it is now. But there's no question downtown has been as good and as prosperous and it has its issues. Don't get me wrong. I'm not going to paint a completely rosy picture here, but a downtown stadium would work, in my opinion. But to build a new one with 70 to $100 million of state money or whatever it would be, I mean, look, if you can cut a deal and Cuomo's willing to give it to you, and we kind of have to say, well, that'd probably be better to spend on infrastructure and a list of about 40 other things I can give you here, but we can have that debate. But... To me, you had your shot, 
you blew it. You kind of have to live with what you got. And should you go over the top just to appease the New York Mets? And my answer to that is no. I think you should make the effort to do what you can to keep AAA baseball here. But I'm not sure what the intention of the Mets were. The Mets bought the team. They bought out the stockholders. Everybody made a nice chunk of change on that. And that's great. But we're in a whole different world now. And what Syracuse, New York has proven, and I hate to say this because there are certainly pockets of people that don't fit this description that are loyal baseball fans that show up more than once or twice a year. And and this is not a discredit to the people that go to that ballpark for months, not just a couple times a year. But we've all seen the attendance. We've all seen the pictures of half-empty ballparks. There's nights where they have 10,000 people there, and there's nights when there's literally 10 people there. This is not, in and of itself, a thriving AAA market. It's a market that's holding on to AAA baseball. Is there a chance to revive it with the Mets and some stadium improvements? Absolutely. But talk of taking it beyond that, I think, is irresponsible at this point. And I want to know more from the Mets. I want to know more what their commitment is. They're already asking for these improvements, and I understand why. But we're, we're literally entering a whole new ballgame here. And we don't know. They can't announce it during the, the, the season. It's, it's, a, it's a rule. We'll find out shortly afterwards, I would imagine. Let me just reiterate here, and i got to get to a break, and our, our buddy Seth Everett's going to join us here. And he can certainly chime in on this as somebody who, you know, has a big-time background in baseball. But if they name that team the Syracuse Mets, that is the beginning of the end of that team. And I, I don't say that lightly. That would be a, a, just a horrific mistake in my mind. I'm not, I'm not saying they're going to. I have no inside information on that. There's hope because the AA team has a creative name. If they just simply change the Chiefs to the Mets, <laughs> that's the beginning of the end to me because it just shows you how serious they're taking this. So on that note, we'll break. We'll see how it goes. I hope I'm wrong on some of these things. They're not going to build a new stadium. I just think but the fact that it was proposed and people have brought that argument up, I'm like, let's not get people's hopes up here. If they correct that all-time mistake, Hey, fantastic. But I think we all can agree, even as passionate sports fans, given the cost of what a new stadium would be, I think you can find better uses of that money in this town. And on that note, we'll break. And we'll bring in Seth Everett. Talks in baseball with him. He's going to be hosting our postgame show tomorrow after SU Western Michigan. We'll do it all next. You're on the block, ESPN Radio. This is On the Block with Brent Axe. Well, there you have it. The 80s bump delivers again. Boom shock a lot. What got, Billy? Hey, hey, you, you, get into my car. Yes, you, get into my car. On the block presented by Burdick BMW rolling along here on this SU football eve tomorrow night. Let's get it on. Six o'clock kickoff. Plenty more to come on that front, including our chat with the head coach. Getting it going, baby. Dino Babers is going to join us every Thursday throughout the Syracuse football season. Thanks, Brent. Thank you, Coach. And the first one is today. A little bit later on, we'll do that right top of the hour. As a matter of fact, 5.05, Liam McHugh will join us later. Reminder that Seth and I, that'd be Seth Goldberg, will be at the Press Room Pub tomorrow doing... uh, Now, tomorrow is going to be a pregame show. 
it's in this time slot because it's a 6 o'clock kickoff, and we always do pregame two hours prior to kickoff with Seth Everett to take your calls afterwards on the postgame show. So tomorrow this show basically becomes a pregame show. You'll hear from Tim Lester. You'll hear from Dino Babers. You'll hear from everybody you need to hear from. Seth and I will be at the Press Room Pub, so come on by. Have an adult beverage or two. Have some great food. That place is awesome. If you haven't been to the Press Room Pub, just opened up a couple months back. It is a spectacular spot right here in downtown. Great place to watch the game tomorrow night. If you don't get the CBS Sports Network and want to go out on a Friday night and watch the game, that is the perfect spot to do it. Seth and I will be there doing pregame tomorrow. Right now, let me with that fancy open. Let's hot take. We've got a hot one for you. Oh, you're hot. Why, thank you. So are you. And I'm not afraid to cry. So hot. So hot and hot. Man, it's hot. How hot is it? It's so hot, I poured McDonald's coffee in my lap to cool off. <laughs> it's time for Hot Takes on the Block. Oh, breaking hot take news, everybody, because you probably said to yourself, you know, I haven't heard anything about Colin Kaepernick in a while. Can you please bring that back up? But it is significant. I wouldn't bring it up if it wasn't significant, because I know people are tired of this topic. But this is big. Colin Kaepernick's case that the NFL owners are colluding against him can move forward. An arbitrator announced the ruling this afternoon that the case will not be dismissed as the NFL had requested. A source telling Pro Football Talk that further discovery is expected, meaning Kaepernick and his attorney will have more opportunities to gather information about any dealings inside the league that left to Kaepernick being kept out. And the case now appears set to move towards a hearing where NFL owners will be forced to testify about what they have directed their team's personnel departments to do with Kaepernick. Kaepernick is trying to prove collusion, that basically all the owners in the league got together in some form and said, keep him out. Kaepernick's trying to prove he got blacklisted. He's trying to prove that the owners colluded to say, you are not playing in this league. Remember John Elway had a comment, what was that, last week or two weeks ago when he said he had an opportunity to play here, he turned it down. So the fact that NFL owners are now going to have to testify about this, it can go forward. The case has not been dismissed. This is pretty big news because you NFL owners and the owners of professional sports teams, presidents of the United States, powerful people, will not tell you certain things until they absolutely have to. And this is one of those cases where you will have to tell the truth on this. You will have to prove you didn't collude. You will have to provide receipts, meaning you know, quite literally receipts, but text messages, records of phone calls, documents that prove you didn't collude to keep this guy out of the league. Which, listen, is the NFL going to win this ultimately? That's hot. I'm not a lawyer. I just play one on the radio occasionally. I think they will. Because for Kaepernick to prove like they tried to keep him out of the league because he was bad business, I think we all kind of know that's why he didn't get signed. But I think NFL owners, and there are rules you got to abide by and, and union things and, and all the requisites i got to attach to this. But, look, if I'm an NFL owner, having Kaepernick on my team is bad business because I can go find another quarterback. We're not talking about a Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers-level quarterback here. The guy's a backup at best who hasn't been in the league for two years and brings a mountain of distractions with him. Like, the fact that we got to the point that people were, like, screaming from the rooftops that he was obligated to be a quarterback in the NFL, 
I kept saying, no, he's not. That's the thing about football is you want who you feel are not only the best players on your team, but and NFL teams don't always do a great job with this. There was a guy that I'll discuss here in Hot Takes in a moment that just got found of insider training, uh, insider trading, pardon me, on the Cleveland Browns. So, yeah, they don't always do a bang-up job with this, but sometimes you don't know what you're getting with that player, particularly a younger player or a draft pick. With Kaepernick, you know you get a mountain of controversy that comes with him. So I think if you're an owner and you don't want that on your team, knowing full well what you get, you have every right to say, "Uh uh-uh, don't want it. But there are procedures and rules you have to follow to do that. And now it's going to a court of law to prove that they didn't collude to have him there. So that just came out just within the last 20 minutes or so here. Big breaking news there, something to follow as we go through the next few days here. Other big NFL news. We weren't on the air yesterday, as you know, because we had Mets baseball on. Aaron Rodgers signed a four-year, $134 million contract extension yesterday. Well, he didn't sign it. They have agreed to, to the parameters of the deal, and they've dotted the I's and crossed the T's in a sense. But he hasn't signed this, but it's all heading towards this, and, you know, it'll be officially official soon. $103 million of that guaranteed. Rodgers will make $67 million by the end of this calendar year, an additional $13 million by St. Patrick's Day. So he's going to have about $80 million in the bank by St. Patrick's Day 2019, and then you add in the contract. It's the most guaranteed money in NFL history. Matt Ryan is second at $100 million, and we have seen some contracts in recent days where you say to yourself, yep, worth it. Checks the box, reassures his status, and you say, "Uh uh-huh, I get that. I understand that. One was Odell Beckham Jr., and the other is Aaron Rodgers. Odell Beckham Jr. is the best wide receiver in football. If he's not, he's like two or three. He was due the money, what the market bears, what the guaranteed money is. The Giants need that weapon. You can't let him go anywhere else unless somebody gave you an astronomical offer to do it, which they didn't. So you just got to buck up and pay at some point. You want Aaron Rodgers to retire a Green Bay Packer, finding not only a franchise quarterback, but a franchise quarterback that can do what Aaron Rodgers does, the mobility, the arm strength, the accuracy, the star power. At 35 years old, yes, but as Tom Brady has proven, the lifespan of a quarterback can be extended a little bit if you know it's a quarterback that takes care of themselves and is worth that investment. I saw that flash across the screen yesterday, and yes, the money wows you, but that's just what the market bears. But I'm sorry, when guys like Matthew Stafford and even Matt Ryan and like the next guy in line is getting the highest, look at Jimmy Garoppolo got with the Niners, right? At least Aaron Rodgers is like, okay, that's an MVP. This guy won a Super Bowl. He is the best quarterback in football. So you can at least, again, justifying that much money, some people will never do, but given what the market bears today, That made sense. That's hot. Speaking of money, I'm sure some of you have seen on Hard Knocks that the brother of Ryan Nassib, Carl Nassib, has been giving some sound financial advice in the defensive room. Who here knows what compound interest is? This is real Financial advisors are everywhere, okay? They'll take your money and they'll take 1% of everything you got. You're like, oh, it's 1%. It doesn't matter. I know it matters. It matters. It matters a lot. Because if you learn this yourself, you can make billion dollars. We got a lot of money right now, right? This is the easiest equation to make you rich. 
you have a million dollars, and after seven years of getting 10% on that money every single year, okay, you're making money off of it, you're gonna double it after seven years. So you double your money every seven years for 42 years, you get 64 times your original money. Thank you, Carl Nassim, brother of Ryan, also a sound financial advisor, and not what you expect to see on Hard Knocks, right? Hard Knocks has been spectacular this year. Well, wonder how they're going to handle this one. The Browns cut linebacker Michael Kendricks for not the – so you, know, you think, what does an NFL linebacker get cut for? Well, maybe he's not good enough, right? Is that why he got cut? No. Okay. Uh, was it a Corey Coleman situation? Did he demand a trade? Did he say – no, that's not – okay. Uh, well, was he injured? Was he injured and it's just they've got better players on the team? No. Uh, insider trading. It can't be that. Nobody gets cut for insider trading. That's that is correct. Oh. As it turns out, uh, he turned about an $80,000 investment into $1.2 million in about five months. Yeah. A few red flags might go up when you do that. Billion dollars. Maybe it would have got there by, you know, they didn't catch this. But it's not every day you see an NFL player cut for insider trading. So next time, listen to Carl Nassib. Get sound financial advice. We'll break on that note. We've got plenty of SU football to come. We've got the head coach, Dino Babers, coming up. We've got Liam McHugh coming up to talk college football and the NFL. we got a lot to do, baby. Hang in there. You're on the block. Thank you. Bye-bye.